It's remarkable because people, I, when people think of the South Pacific and when I tell them about the Tongan Islands too, because it's about 150 islands, it's an archipelago. So it's a sailor's paradise because only about 50 of wow. the islands are inhabited. So you've got all of these islands so close by. So if you have a boat, you literally can just anchor your boat, swim to shore, like have a barbecue on your own island for the day. And- Amazing. I want one of those islands now. <laughs> Hello and welcome to today's podcast from Support After Suicide. We're talking to Halani Fulsham today, who's chair of the Board of Trustees of SOBS, founder of Thought Climber and After Journal and a mental health activist. We'll be talking to Halani about how she has channeled her particular grief creatively and produced some amazing and beautiful work. Hi, Halani. Hi, good afternoon. Welcome. Lovely to speak to you today. Thank you. It's an honour to be here with you. Could we just start off by finding out a bit more about you and your story? Thank you. I guess you can probably tell from my accent that I'm not from this side of the pond. I um, actually was born in the South Pacific and I grew up in Hawaii, so many, many miles away from the United Kingdom, but have lived um, on the mainland US and uh, also in Japan, so quite a global existence. but as of 2014, uh, called the United Kingdom home for me and I've been here ever since. Yes. Excellent. And did you come here for, was it for work or study? What did you come for? Um, it was actually my husband's work that brought us over to this um, site. So he's originally from the UK and uh, we lived in the States together, but his work brought him back. And I thought, you know, what an adventure, <laughs> let's do it. And uh, so we came over here, um, but sadly it was just um, months after we moved to the United Kingdom when I lost my mother. So it's been a very interesting journey um, being here in the United Kingdom. Uh, it's home, but it's uh, been quite emotional. In fact, it's not your typical sort of um, foreign adventure, if you will. It turned out to be quite, um, well, a remarkable story, I suppose. Could you tell us tell us a bit about that journey that you've had? Yes, well, um, so as I mentioned, I'd moved here in June of um, 2014. And in November of the very same year, I lost my mother to suicide. And it came as um, a shock, as it does in many cases, to so many people. It was the last thing that I would have ever expected. Um, the thing that was really difficult for me, however, is, is being new to the United Kingdom, I was in a sort of a new geographical terrain, if you will. And then after losing my mother, realized that I was in a new emotional landscape. Uh, I did go back to the States. So she was in the US. Um, so I went back to the States for several weeks in order to uh, go through the, the bere- not just the bereavement process, but um, the things that you have to go through effectively when you lose somebody suddenly, all the practical uh, things that need to be tackled. And then upon my return to the United Kingdom, I think that's when I realized how significant the loss actually was. Initially, in going through all the administrative tasks that need to, to sort of get into order, you're almost on autopilot. You're sort of tick boxing, ticking boxes, if you will. And then upon my return, it just sort of it hit me. And I realized, oh, my gosh. What has just happened and and being so far away from family and friends when you were here as well you've written very powerfully actually in in your blogs about loneliness and 
and just that that stigma about talking about suicide is that something that you found difficult when you returned to the UK? Yes it was interesting because when I came back I was still creating new friendships I was relatively new to my work I had colleagues and even though we were fostering really strong relationships it was still quite new to talk about something as traumatic as that so in that context it was really isolating um, I think for uh, my in-laws my uh, my my family here on this side of the United Kingdom it was a difficult subject and interestingly enough for my mother's side of the family, um, I think it was many family members were still in denial about it. So I was almost isolated from every yeah. angle because it was something that I couldn't quite talk to any family members about at great length. I felt as though I couldn't reach out to colleagues and some of my closest friends uh, I was able to have conversations with but of course now I'm in another country and many of those friendships are in five times you know we're five time zones away mm -hmm. so trying to manage um, the time and space to even have those conversations when you have international um, territory between you so to speak it created some really difficult challenges absolutely so what what did you find that helped you to get through that really difficult time Initially, when I, when I first went through, it was really interesting because when I came back to the United Kingdom, my first thought was I need to go see my GP. I thought I just need to tell somebody that this has happened to me. I didn't quite know what it meant. I didn't know what was gonna happen. I didn't know if I could function or not function. It was all the uncertainty. So I thought, right, I'm gonna to go to, the, to see my GP and let her know. Interestingly enough, at that point, she didn't have enough information in which to refer me okay. to um, to resources or additional support. So as a result of that, I ended up turning to the internet and I was just looking as anything. I just I typed in literally support after suicide. Mm -hmm. And I think that brought me to the support after suicide partnership. I found help is at hand, which was a remarkable resource. I read through that and the resources. I Googled anything in relation to the trauma around suicide. I read, I researched, I had books that people had given to me that I, I read through as well. And I wrote about it um, almost continuously um, as just a way to try to create headspace because there was so much going on inside of my head that I had to find somewhere to kind of contain it that was outside of myself. I also turned to um, survivors of bereavement by suicide. Mm -hmm. Because of the support groups, that was a great way to talk with other people who actually had had um, a similar experience. And I took comfort in, um, I remember the first meeting that I went to, it was actually a month after I arrived back from the United Kingdom. So I, a month when you lose somebody to suicide, especially initially after the loss, feels like a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And so I did all of those things that I've just described prior to my meeting. But my gosh, when I was able to get to that first group session and actually say to people this is what I've been through and listen to the others describe what they had also gone through themselves it was as if an enormous weight was lifted and I think that was really when I started to understand the power of connecting mm -hmm. with 
people with a similar lived experience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We hear that a lot. And you mentioned that you started to write. Is this where your yeah. journaling started? Yes, it's interesting. I um, I have a background um, in communications and writing um, through at different touch points in, in throughout my career. And, you know, going back to the idea of headspace, I realized, you know, I'm going to fall back on something that is really natural to me. So I wrote, I think for the first 30 or 60 days, maybe I wrote every day and I seemed to have so much to say. And it was interesting because um, it was almost as if there weren't enough pages in which for me to write on. And then about two months after I'd lost my mother, I hit a wall mm. and all of a sudden it was as if I didn't even know what to say anymore. Um, and it wasn't that I ran out of words. I think I actually entered into an entirely new emotional space and all of a sudden it was like a void. So at that point, um, I stopped writing and I started to draw and to doodle, just trying to find some way to make, to get out the nervous energy, mm -hmm. the anxiety, I suppose, that was in my head around it. But yes, journaling was something that I took, um, took respite in. Absolutely. Just for anybody who, who isn't aware of what journaling is, it, it is di yeah. it's different to having a diary, isn't it? It's not just about writing. Yes, I, I find with journaling, um, in my experience, it was very specific around the experience. And I found what helped me was to, um, I actually, what's interesting is, is what helped me with my journaling. I don't know if people are familiar with mind mapping, but I, at some points I actually had to create a mind map. So mm -hmm. I, I'd start with a word, especially at those points where I didn't know quite what I needed to express, but I want to express something. I might start with a word like loneliness. And then from loneliness, I would just specifically write around that emotion um, that I was experiencing. And so the journaling of it for me was about capturing very specific emotional touch points in my journey, um, especially more so than just about the day to day, which in a diary, sometimes you can almost say, oh, today yeah. I went to the store. Today I did this. It was really about a deep dive into the emotional experience around specifically suicide, especially. Mm -hmm. Did you find that you could put things into that journal that you felt you couldn't say to other people that you couldn't talk about? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I think um, that's one of the things that's so important about the writing experience is you have the ability to, to be honest, a level of honesty that um, it's not that I, I actually think in some ways it's almost that you can test your own thinking on, on a blank piece of paper. You can say what you need to say, um, and then you can reflect on it. And oftentimes it, for me, it meant that I was able to communicate that then, mm -hmm. but I could communicate it more clearly. But I, I experienced a lot of extreme emotions at certain points early on. And I think it was helpful to write about it rather mm -hmm. than just behave it, sort of act it out. I think which it might scare people or scare myself. Yeah, because you've called it an emotional roller coaster, which I'm sure will be yeah very familiar to a lot of people listening who've been bereaved yeah. themselves and um you've also written about how n no there is nothing abnormal about anything that you feel at any point you yes. know that, that your feeling is how you feel and that's absolutely fine is that something that journal journaling had you come to terms with as well is that that strength and depth and intensity of lots of different emotions it's interesting um i think that was 
a starting point for that understanding um, mm. by capturing the different emotions that I was experiencing, by capturing the experience itself. Um, it helped me come to terms with what I was going through by understanding the process of what I was going through. It meant that I could talk to people mm. and by talking to people about it, I could draw strength from, I guess, a level of courage sometimes that it requires. It's scary to talk about suicide, but it also became a sort of a personal mission for me to be able to talk about it because because people weren't talking about it, especially in the case of my own family. Um, yes. I remembered I had you know, certain family members who were in denial that it happened and there was sort of a reframing of the experience, which I know can sometimes happen. And I was terrified by the idea that we might not be honest about it okay. and what that might mean for other people and the grieving process actually. How do you grieve if you're not being honest with yourself about what's actually happened? Do you think, I hope you don't mind me asking, but um, do you think there were any cultural aspects then to how yeah. your your mother's family maybe reacted to what happened? Absolutely. I know um, that played a really significant part, actually, when I think about it. Um, coming from the Polynesian culture, I know that Things like mental health, uh, things like suicide are really almost taboo. I mean, I might even go so far as to say taboo. The younger generation is more open to discussion around it. But my mother, when she died, was 62 years old. She was the second to youngest out of eight children. So she had older siblings. And there's a real stigma and disbelief um, around taking your own life, which I think fed into the initial denial um, and just, a, I think a real sense of disbelief also because we didn't talk, my mother uh, was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and that was something that the family also didn't talk about. I think we didn't know how to talk about it was part of the problem. Um, and to see sort of a series of incidents in her later life because mind you she was somebody who was so successful when she was younger and she was a marathon runner and played tennis at a professional level and was just the life of a party and was somebody that you always saw as the bright shining light she was the one that all her siblings and family members could turn to because she was always a resource of energy and wisdom so when we lost her from a cultural standpoint there was a real stigma around it um, but then there was just the general disbelief because how is it that somebody could almost have two characters, if you will, the, this sort of public facing character, which is so successful and this very private facing existence, which is somebody who would even consider something as serious as suicide. Yeah. Thank you. Sounds like a wonderful woman. And you've, you've taken all of this and throughout this journey, spoken to other people written you've blogged you've created your you've created after journal which we'll come back to and thought climber um what does that what does that mean to you now being able to being able to share what you've learned and what you've experienced with others i it's interesting i'm really mindful the process that i've gone through in the creation of the journal the writing and being able being able to talk with others i mean as i speak to you today 
in the lead up to this, I was reflecting on the journey that I've been on and thinking about how long it's been since that, you know, that day in November of 2014. And I think what's interesting is realizing how far I've come. And yeah. I think in the process of grief, it can be really easy to forget how far we've come. Yeah. So just getting through a day is a success sometimes, you know, just getting through the morning is, is, can be a success. And what's interesting for me is, um, yes, looking back now and thinking, wow, in the process of, of going through this, I don't know that I was even really conscious of it. I was doing it instinctively because it was almost a survival tactic. I needed, I needed to do it. Um, but now that I look back and it's been, you know, over five years since I lost her, I realized, wow, look how far I've come. And actually, um, so much has come out of it and so much that has made, I hope, me a better person by being able to be transparent about the experience and turn it into something that enables me to talk to others so that if mm. others can't speak about it. Um, I think the journal that was really important for me was that if, if you know, well, let me just backtrack for a minute because I've heard in many cases where people have described when they've lost um, a loved one to suicide, they might be, for example, in a, in a store and um, they'll see somebody that they know and they'll see that person's deliberately avoid them. And I think because there's a real, you know, it's not to be unkind, it's just a discomfort about how to talk about such a sensitive subject. And so the journal in many ways was a tool to say, we don't actually have to say anything if we can give somebody something that says, I recognize what you're going through. Um, and so in that process, I realized um, it was a way to honor my mother, but actually honor my own grief <laughs> and try to come through it. So that this is the, the after journal, which is beautiful, really beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Um, do you want to tell us what, what, what you do with the yeah. beautiful journals that you make and who gets to use them and how far and wide they've gone? Yeah, so... Um, well, the after journal, it's, I mean, when I created the after journal, it was, um, it was me creating something that I wished had existed. As I was going through my grief, I came across bereavement journals, um, but they didn't quite strike the right tone for me because suicide is such a different type of bereavement. And I also felt that I, that I wish there had been prompts of things that I could think about in terms of that process. So I created the journal really for myself so that I could try to navigate what felt like really um, sort of navigating my way through the fog. And then in the process of creating it, I was awarded a grant at the time I was living in Rygate in Surrey and I was awarded a grant by the um, Rygate Bounstead Council in order to create a mock-up, if you will, and, and, and see if anybody had interest um, perhaps in helping me to develop it. So that was the real, it was that seed funding from my local town council. And since then, um, I have now, gosh, I have distributed um, over 800 copies of the After Journal. It has been used by charities like Sobs and If You Care, Share. Um, Mind Charity has also um, purchased them to help support people in their bereavement journal. Uh, I'm also working with a charity in, in the U.S., in Arizona, called Project Connect 4 that supports local people. They have a high, um, sadly, a high suicide rate among veterans. 
And so it's to support people in their community who also go through the bereavement process. But it's been quite remarkable because I don't advertise it. It's been through word of mouth, um, sort of one person at a time. But remarkably, it seems to have expanded. And what's nice is that it means that people are getting help and access to resources. And again, it's that idea that if you feel uncomfortable talking to somebody about it, it's something you can just give them to, to honor and recognize um, the experience and the grief that they would be going through. Yeah. Do you want to tell our listeners where they can find out more about the journal and about the work that you do? Yes. Um, if anybody's interested in finding out more about the journal, they can go to the website at thoughtclimber.com. And also on Twitter at uh, our handle is at ThoughtClimber. Great. Well, we make sure that we put that into the link on our podcast site. So when you came back from the US to the UK, did you spend a lot of time alone and having to grieve alone? It was interesting because I... I think the way that I would answer this is I spent a lot of time grieving alone, even when I wasn't alone. And the meaning of that is because I, I went straight back into work, which looking back now, I almost wished I hadn't done, but I think that just seemed like the right thing to do at the time because I didn't know what to do. So I spent time with my colleagues it was the period of December. There were a lot of holiday parties. I found myself taking part in things, but actually I wasn't really present. I knew that I was still grieving. And so it wasn't until a few months later that when I really understood the gravity of what I was experiencing, I realized I was physically going through the motions of my life, but I actually was in a great deal of pain going through the grieving process and not really talking to many people about it. And looking back, is there anything else you'd tell yourself in 2014, given what you know now, what you've learned along the way? Yes. Uh, well, along the lines of taking advantage of the time off, my doctors su suggested that I take some time off, but to, that sort of scared me, I think. And looking back, I wished I'd given myself that space to just really sit with what I was going through and not be engaged in, in the work. Um, I also would tell myself definitely to just be a lot kinder. I think it goes back to diving right back into work and feeling like I had to function and feeling like I had to carry on in a way that was almost unnatural, but a loss by suicide in many ways feels unnatural. So I think we cling to the things that feel very familiar to us. Yeah. But I think I would tell my, my sort of past self, if you will, to, to just be kind and don't worry about the pressure that just give yourself the space. It's going to be okay. And anything that you go through in terms of the ups and downs and the extreme emotions that you can go through, um, give yourself the space to feel that and don't be hard on yourself as a result because we're only human after all. Yeah. Can you tell us how your grief has changed over time, over the past six years? Yes, it's interesting. That's a really good question. Um, because 
when I first went through the grieving process, it was so intense and it, it, it almost felt like, when will I ever see the sun again? And as I went through the process through the months and eventually the years, I've never lost the intensity of the grief that I felt, but I have found that it comes far less frequently than it did before. I often find that I maybe don't even think about the experience that I've gone through and it takes something like a photograph or a song or something that quite triggers it. And it's interesting how poignant and powerful the depth of that emotion still is to this day. Um, but I've learned to, to live with it and I've learned to adopt that grief into, into my identity and who I am. So in a strange way, I can feel it without being overcome by it. Whereas before I felt so overwhelmed by the emotion and over time, I seem to regain a sense of, of clarity and, um, and power over what I was experiencing rather than feeling so vulnerable to it. It's, it's tremendous. And I have to say for anybody who might be early on in their grieving process, it does feel sometimes like you're in a deep valley looking up at a mountain that you will never ever get to the peak of. But I can say for sure that six years, you know, looking back now, how far I've come, um, life is so much richer. It's different and it's painful, but it's extraordinary what we live through and the resilience, which is a testament to the human spirit. Yeah. So beautifully put. Thank you. And just when you talked about a song, it's so true, isn't it? It just comes out of a bright blue sky sometimes, just that feeling of, oh my God. Yeah, yeah, it's almost remarkable because, and I hear people say that, and it's interesting how a song um, can do that. It can just set you back in time or transport you to a different place. And all of a sudden you realize, oh my gosh, all the emotions that were alive with, with whatever attachment it has to it um, are so powerful, but yeah, music. There's took me a long time to sort of revisit songs that my mother loved. It was hard. Yeah. Yeah. It is hard. It is hard. And Annie, is there anything else about your work and what you do that you'd like to to talk about? Because I know that you do so much. I, yeah. I just um, my hope. I guess out of this discussion today, and I hope it serves the purpose um, for support after suicide partnership, because it's just to, um, to share another way of grieving really. And that if it's of any help to someone to realize that actually um, writing is, is such a powerful tool in the grieving process. And I think, you know, you raised a really good point when you asked the sort of the difference between journaling and, and, you know, writing in a diary, but the, active writing um, is powerful and I just hope that in some way that is embedded in what we've talked about because I think that's the key thing. Um, in terms of Thought Climber and where you know where I'm going with it, I've um, taken sort of a moment of pause. So I'm doing the last distribution. I've got about 200 more books and I'd actually like to grow it and develop this whole project further. Um, but that's something that's still in a sort of a brain, sort of the, I'm thinking about it going through the process. So I don't have anything concrete to say like, you know, we're doing this or we're doing that. It's, it's a very organic project. 
Um, but it, the key thing right now is to just offer it as an option and hopefully they'll find some value in, in knowing that they're not alone in the bereavement process in general. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you so much, Alani, for talking to us today. It's been really lovely to hear how you have used journaling, how you've used your activism, how you've talked to so many people about your experience and helped so many people to get through their own experience. Thank you for having me. It's been an honour to be here today. Thank you. If you feel distressed by any of the topics mentioned in this podcast, please reach out for support. You can call the Samaritans on 116-123. You might want to have a look at the booklet Help is at Hand. It offers practical and emotional support to those bereaved by suicide. You can access it in the description for this podcast and on the Support After Suicide Partnership website at www.supportaftersuicide.org.uk. Thank you.